You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned afterward for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. What's up, everybody? Glad to be with you today. Welcome, everybody, online. We're going to finish our look at the theme of generosity in the book of Acts. Are we ready? All right, here we go. Our scripture reading is going to be from Acts chapter 11 and 13. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people, and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians." Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them. And sent them off. That's the reading of God's word today. All is 9 a.m. people, soon to be 8.30 a.m. people said. Amen. All right. Yeah. Hey, how many of you have ever heard it said by someone, oh, those Christians. Wow, yeah, as in maybe you're the new person at work or you, you like go to a, a meeting at lunch with your coworkers or the, and the subject of faith comes up when someone says, oh, those Christians. Yeah, if that is you, you, you probably know what you're experiencing or maybe you've been watching a movie or a, a TV show and the, and the trope comes back to life again. The only person of faith represented on the show is someone who's supposed to be from a Christian background and then surprise, surprise, they're living a double life. What are you experiencing? You're getting an O, those Christians. Or you maybe you're reading a news article or watching a news program or you're in the classroom and you hear a professor or a teacher give their POV and it's decidedly anti-faith and you're feeling in that moment a what? And oh, those Christians feeling. I think many of us, maybe most of us have felt that at some point and maybe even sometimes if we're honest, We've thought that at some point too, huh? We've thought, oh, those Christians. Uh, As the movie from the 2000s put it, Lord, save us from your followers. Why do I bring this up? Because once upon a time, 
and once upon a place, there was a very first time and a very first place when someone said, oh, those Christians. And it wasn't because of something negative, nor was it because of something positive. And it wasn't because Jesus' followers were popular and people liked their Super Bowl commercials. It wasn't because Jesus' followers were hated, and people hated their Super Bowl commercials. It was because one group of Jesus' followers was its own commercial. In the early first century, when the Greco-Roman people of the city of Antioch, when they saw a whole group of people acting differently, they looked up and they said, oh, those people, they sure are different. What are we going to call them? Who was their founder again? Oh, yeah, let's call them Christians. Oh, look, those Christians. Why were the followers of Jesus first first, first called Christians in this place, in this city, in the city of Antioch, if I think we can see that about them, oh, maybe we can see something also about you and me and about us. So let me give you three reasons why this happened, three reasons why the Christians, disciples were first called Christians in Antioch, three reasons in two quick applications. We're going to see today Jesus' followers were first, first called Christians in Antioch because there was generous living, number one. Number two was generous giving, and finally there was generous sending. Generous living, generous giving, generous sending from the book of Acts. Here we go. The first mark of an Antioch church, number one, is generous living. Follow the story. There's some history here. Now, those, it says, who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, you got to catch this, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. See, this is describing the infant days of the Christian church. After, after a man named Stephen, it says, became the first Christian martyr, a wave of violence was unleashed against the church in the city of Jerusalem, over in Israel. So to survive the purge, Jesus' followers scattered all over the Mediterranean basin. And this verse tells us where some of them went. And when they went, they naturally shared their faith as Jesus had commanded. But the pattern at first was to share their faith with only one type of person. It says they spoke the word to no one except Jews. And on one hand, this kind of makes sense because the first Jesus followers were after all, from a Jewish background. And therefore, Jewish people in other cities would have had a lot in common with these Jesus followers. They would have shared a common language, right? They would have shared common scriptures, the Bible, the Hebrew scriptures. They were also waiting for the Messiah. So when they were scattered, the first Jesus followers only spoke to Jews. But in Antioch, something different happened. Verse 20, it says, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. So the Hellenists were the Greek-speaking non-Jewish people. This was so different, so radical, Luke had to record it. What happened? Verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So we see, for the first time 
in a city. The gospel was preached to pagans. Pagans were converted and became part of the new church. And this section ends with this amazing little flourish. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called, named, described as Christians. Why? Why was this such a big deal here? Right. There's a very famous or semi-famous dead person you've never heard of. <laughs> His name is Seleucius I, your favorite city architect and mine. Seleucius I, he built the city of Antioch to be a place of significance. And Antioch became, over time, the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Antioch was kind of like America's Chicago. Come on, Chicago, Cubs fans, spring training, hope springs eternal, right? We have New York, L.A., and then Chicago. They had Rome, then Alexandria, then Antioch. Now, we know despite the numbers, Austin's really the best place to live in the U.S., right? One million Californians have all proved this correct. All right. All right. Seleucius, though, had built this city not only with giant walls around it. He had built it with giant walls within it. Within Antioch, there were 18 different ethnic quarters. And over time, walls, literal walls, had been built between each group. Do you know why? I think, I think actually, you know why. Rodney Stark, great historian, describes Antioch as a city filled with hatred and fear rooted in intense ethnic antagonisms and exacerbated by a constant stream of strangers in a city so lacking in stable networks of attachments that petty incidents could prompt mob violence. First century Antioch was a powder keg of ethnic hate waiting to blow. But now, into Antioch came quite literally the first multi-ethnic, truly multi-racial, multi-cultural group the world had ever seen. You've got Greeks, Jews, rich, poor, slaves, freed peoples, even Democrats and Republicans. It's crazy. All together in one place, caring for each other, living peaceful lives with one another. And this was so different. This was so crazy. This was so unheard of. The people around them literally had no words to describe it. And so they made up a word to describe the people they saw. They called them Christians or little Christ, mini Christ, which now shows us something a little a little unsettling, I think, as far as our world goes today. It shows us this. If a faith, if a faith can't truly cross cultural and ethnic lines, it'll never reveal the heart of the Christian faith. The Christian faith. Every other God says, every other God says, love people like you. Only the triune God, Father, Son, Spirit, Himself, come on, diverse, says love those unlike you. Listen, if we only love people just like us, you know what it shows? It shows we just worship a God just like us. Hmm? This is what every other religion has done over time. It just props up a tribal, ethnically rooted deity. Cultures erect gods over their own ethnic groups to hold themselves together. Peter Berger, great sociologist, said every religion's done this. He calls it the sacred canopy, like a holy tent cultures build over themselves. He said every culture, every religion has done this except for one. He called it the historical peculiarity of Christianity. 
And from the beginning, the Christian faith has been the most ethnically and culturally diverse faith the world has ever known. But, but, do you know today in the U.S., Pew Research has put this out. Now, one in five people who call themselves Christians will only go to church with someone who votes like them. And that number has doubled since 2016. One election cycle. What do you think that says? I think it says many who call themselves Christians don't have a triune God. They have a red God or a blue God. And I think we all feel this. David Brooks got real quiet real quick. That's okay. David Brooks, social critic, he wrote this last year in the Atlantic. He says, politics now overwhelms everything. Churches, universities, sports, pop culture, healthcare are swept up in a succession of battles that are really just one big war, red versus blue. Evangelicalism used to be a faith. Today, it's primarily a political identity. Not a Christian, by the way. He wrote that. Remember Jesus' words? They will know, the city will know, you're my disciples when you all vote the same. Wait, he didn't say that now, did he? Antioch will know you're my disciples. The world will know you're my disciples, he says, when you love one another. So church, please vote for a candidate. Please follow your conscience. Please be salt and light in our system. Love your country, but only worship Jesus and prove it. Prove it by loving your enemies. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. So number one, there wasn't just generous living though. Number two, we'll see here. There's also generous giving. Generous living and generous giving. The second mark of an Antioch church is this. It says, next we're told in the story of this church, a respected prophet named Agabus came here to Antioch and he prophesied there would be a great famine And as a result, here's what the church did. So the disciples determined everyone, according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so. This describes, historians believe, the first international relief effort ever organized. How about that? So they took up an offering, not for themselves, but for those in another city. For those, again, largely Hellenists here, who took up an offering for largely Jewish people over in another city, a group of people they had never met. Why? Why in the world would they do that? Right. Some of you, some of you, again, you, you have been to or you have lived in a city as large as Chicago or L.A. or New York, and you know how big those cities are. I mean, New York has got a population density of roughly 100 people per acre. How about that? All right, now we've got roughly seven acres on our property here. So imagine 700 people just living here, living here on our property. But Antioch, Antioch was far more dense than even New York City today. It had 200 people per acre, twice as dense then as New York is now. And think about it like this. They lived at a time without medicines, (laughs) vaccines, indoor plumbing, or toilets. Yes, sorry to do that, but therefore disease, the point is, was rampant. And one of the reasons people died so quickly back in 2020 in the first COVID wave in New York was because of that, because of population density. When something catastrophic hits a big group of people, 
Hmm? A big group of people are just going to suffer. And during this roughly 100-year gap in Roman history, first century-ish, nine different epidemics broke out. You guys have seen the movie Gladiator. Remember the name Marcus Aurelius, right? The emperor then. He was a real emperor in real life. Only two of his 14 children reached adulthood because of these epidemics. And over and over, history tells us when the Romans merely threw the sick and the dying out into the streets, Christians took them in and cared for them, sometimes themselves dying too. And so when these Christians in Antioch heard there would be suffering, they knew what it would mean. And they responded with compassion. They gave to alleviate suffering, in this case, hunger, future suffering from future hunger, to those they didn't even know. Now, if you, if you weren't here three years ago, in February of 2021, it's hard to kind of imagine what the winter storm was like that we experienced. You didn't need sunblock like you do today. You needed like a generator back then. The Texas power grid failed, for those of you who weren't here. Leaving countless people in the dark without heat for days, shivering, and then days after people living and eating and sleeping in the dark, another wave of ice and snow and single-digit temperatures hit our city again. And then, trigger warning here, people's pipes began to burst. Maybe that was you. Around that time, the city of Austin asked just sent out a mass appeal to see if churches would turn themselves into community shelters and mosaic. We said yes. We became one of seven churches in the city that turned themselves voluntarily into a 24-7 shelter. And to do that, many of our staff drove up here to church through the ice storm in order to accommodate the waves of people who were going to come. And we lived in our offices all week without showers (laughs) at the height of COVID. And at the exact moment, our first person arrived over there in Building C, I was greeting him at the door. I got a call. We had lost water. The city had turned it off. And for the next week, in order to flush the single working toilet we had over there, we scraped ice off the pavement with a shovel and melted it on the electric stove. Kept power, thankfully. Someone Mosaic Street Ministry had raised around $80,000 to shelter the unhoused. But when the city's power and water in some places failed, the unhoused were turned out into the streets. One mental institution did the same. They turned its patients out into the streets. Law enforcement picked them up and brought them here. We housed a rotating group of 70 people. They slept on floors. They slept in our worship center across the street, conference rooms. Church members, some of you brought up soup and food and water. One family, Matt and Julie Corey, brought up loads of water from their swimming pool. When they heard we needed water and we couldn't melt the ice fast enough, they drove like six miles an hour back of their pickup filled with water to get to here. And one, others use their four-wheel drive trucks to fish people out of their homes. Praise God for big Texas trucks, right? I mean, they brought these folks to other church members' houses who could keep them and feed them. There are too many stories to count, including one of them. I'll give it to you. Dr. John Loy, one of our elders, loaded up his pickup truck because he's a doctor, hauled a makeshift neonatal unit in the back of his truck out to Marble Falls to save the life of a prematurely born baby. 
And for that, he made it on the local news and finally all the way to Good Morning America. And when other churches around the city and the country heard what we were doing, they started sending in checks, 1,000, 4,000, 5,000, 10,000. And when we were able and it all thought out, we gave not only to rehouse many people with their apartments and furniture and all that, but we gave $10,000 to Deer Park Middle School across the street for teachers to restock their classrooms after the school's interior exploded from the pipes bursting. We ended up on the news. The city honored our efforts. We appreciated that, of course, but we didn't do it for that. We did it. You did this. We did this because the mark of an Antioch church is not just generous living, but generous giving. Generous giving. We give because he first gave to us. Jesus on the cross loved us, his enemies. Jesus in his suffering loved us who cursed him. Jesus lived generously and he gave his life generously. Because of that, the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. And maybe and maybe this is my dream, friends, that the city, the city would call us Christians here in Austin. But do that too because of our generous living and our generous giving. Generous living, generous giving. One more thing, one more final mark here we see of an Antioch church. Let's look at it. And then we'll apply it. Generous sending. Not as generous living and giving, but finally, generous sending. Look at what we're shown here two chapters later. Chapter 13 says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, he was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaon, lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, how about that guy, and Saul. So we're shown here kind of like this early church's website, the About Us page, which all of you looked at before you came here. The world's first multi-ethnic church staff, that's what we're being shown. There's a Cyprian Jew. There's, his name is Barnabas. Simeon, a man who was so dark-skinned, he was nicknamed for it. That was his nickname. Lucius, a pagan convert. Menaean, a childhood buddy of the king turned follower of the king of kings. And a Pharisee Jew named Saul. Put them together, the world had never seen a group of leaders like this. And you know, you know if you go on and you read the rest of Acts, because of this multi-ethnic miracle, the church in Antioch grew, and it grew, and it grew. It became one of the cultural epicenters of the Christian church in the first century. And even after all that happened, there's still a little bit of mystery. This is, I think, mysterious. Think about this. While we have 1st and 2nd Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, we got letters to Rome, Colossae, Ephesus, among others. There's no 1st Antioch. There's no 2nd Antioch, no 3.5 Antioch, the Antiochians. We don't have that. Nor was Antioch listed among the seven churches in Revelation that needed to repent. Hmm. Possibly, likely, because there was just nothing Paul could write about it, or Jesus could say about it to critique it. Here, for a long time, it remained vibrant and healthy. Why? It's not only because they grew, but it's also because, we'll see, they sent. They sent. Verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on their very best leaders, and 
and sent them off. They sent two of their best leaders away. And later, later they began to plant churches elsewhere. They grew and they grew and they sent and they sent. You know, unfortunately today, some Christians, I think, want to moralize. You hear this? <clears throat> if you go in Instagram comments, which is, where, of course, where reason, logic, and kindness go to die. But we want to moralize about big church versus small church, like disorganized church versus organized church. Now, here's my thought. While I do have an extreme bias towards organized church, and I kind of think you do too, because after all, you don't want us to say, your kids, where are they? We don't know. Like, we like disorganized children's ministry. Streets, playground, who knows? You're giving, who knows? Listen, disorganized financial accounting is way more spiritual. You don't think that? So while I do have a bias towards organized faith, I am a fan of any church size. I wish we could just put away categories like big, small, all that, and instead focus on what we see here in Antioch, being a church who grows and sins grows and sins. They grew and they sent it because they sent, they grew again. And by God's grace, you should know over the last four years, we've kind of been able to do the same. This has been a cool story. Been able to plant four new congregations. Amazing. Family Life Church in East Austin in 2020. Mosaic South in 2022. Iglesia Delta in El Paso, January 2023. They got a miracle too. Somebody else gave them a building. It's amazing. I know, been there a year. Mosaic Fort Worth with Pastor Alvin last fall in September 2023. And through all that time, we have continued to grow as well. Last year in 2023, our overall attendance and reach was as large as we have ever had. This church's history. Between our three services and online audience, we averaged our largest year last year, all while starting new campuses and sending some of our own best leaders out. I tell you that not to flex or brag or whatever, but to make a point. We aren't into growth just for ourselves, for growth's sake. We want to continue to grow in order to continue to send. And by the grace of God and a lot of hard work by so many of you, we, we also somehow bear the marks of this church in Antioch. Generous living as reflected by us here. Generous giving. You heard the story. And generous sending. We've seen that. Which brings me now here at the end of two ways I'd like. Not for me to necessarily apply this to you, but two ways in which I'd like for you to apply this to yourself, okay? All right, here it is. Like you heard, here's number one. Like you heard, Pastor Barnabas did a way better job. (laughs) We are moving to new service times. Yes, starting on Easter. We're doing this in an attempt to make, again, as much space as we can to continue to both to love you and to serve our community. Again, those times, 8.30 a.m., 10, and 11.30, all a.m. We feel like we can do better with these times and making more space to both continue to grow and to send. I know this will cause disruption for all of us at some level, more for some than for others. My family and children and I are also included in the disruption, okay? I know based on some family dynamics, based on geography, this may cause you to necessarily make some switches in when you serve and where you attend and all that, and that's okay, but here's what I'm asking, all right? I'm asking with this change, a couple of things. First, for you to only grumble moderately, okay? Just just a little bit. 
I'm going to grumble moderately too when I get to get up half an hour earlier to make sure I'm ready to be here with you all on Sunday, okay? So just be grouchy one time the first Sunday. Then remember, we're doing this for others. And second, again, please strongly consider attending not at 10 a.m. if that's all possible for you. I get it. Youth stuff makes a difference. Uh, it's all good. We want you here. Please don't let the enemy lie to you and say, well, you know, they, they don't want people like me here because they, that could, nothing could be further from the truth. We want you and we want your neighbor who maybe doesn't know Jesus to be here as well. As long as there is one unsaved, lost person in this city, our church is not big enough. That's why we're using our best judgment and doing this. So again, if you can, just move right to 830. We're all good. Or 11.30. And finally, a final application in this series, which has been, of course, about generosity. If you today, you're here, and you are not financially giving to God's kingdom, not in terms of dollars, but specifically in terms of percentage, because dollars never impressed Jesus. Percentage did. You should be doing this. And I'll say this, based on the clear direction of the Christian scriptures, not only should you be doing this, you need to be. Your heart needs to be. Again, I'll take Mosaic off the table. If you don't trust here, fine. Don't give here. Don't give here. But full disclosure, I want to be honest and say part of the reason I preached what I did today was to give every one of you another reason to trust. To trust. I wanted to show you we are doing the best we can to embody the teachings of Jesus and the directionality of this church in Acts. And I hope today is some small proof of that. So please, here's my appeal. Please don't treat Disney, Starbucks, or Apple better than you do your local church. All right? And you can easily tell if you are or not. You just look at your bank statement. How much did I send to Steve Jobs, God rest his soul, you know, or Mickey Mouse? So I think a church in Antioch, a church in like Antioch is worth more than a company like Apple as much as I wish them well. Because the truth is, on one hand, hear me, we don't actually need your money. Everything you see here, already paid for, all right? And thankfully, more than 50% of our congregation are consistent percentage-based givers. That represents almost a 20% jump since last year. It's amazing. It's amazing because only 1% of Americans who make more than $75,000 give 10% away. Richest Americans in general give the least. So if you aren't giving everything you see, all the growing, all the sending, that's all happened. And funded by that 51-ish percent, there's no shortfall here. There's no lack. There's no budget deficit we're trying to make up. I hope that shows you also we're, we can be good stewards here. We are. Think about what we've been able to do with what we already have. And maybe, maybe dream a little bit with me today about how much more we could do if your giving is added in. If it's not already, for the sake of your own heart and the sake of others. So again, here's what I'm asking. If you are, uh, to, if you're not a percentage-based giver, to make sure we remain the kind of church I think we all want to be a part of. An Antioch-like church who grows and sins. Would you go home today and have a conversation with yourself? Say self. <laughs> conversation with your spouse if you're married and begin to ask how can I do this? How can we do this? How can we move towards percentage-based giving? If you can just pick a number, start there and work your way up. And I promise, because this has been the testimony of so many people over many years, you'll come back and say, Morgan, I'm so glad I did it. I'm so glad. I'm so glad you asked and talked about it. Last thought. 
whether, whether you give or whether you don't, whether you serve here or whether you don't, whether you pray for the church or you don't think about it till the next time you come back, I want to tell you, you're loved here. You're loved here. Every one of you, you're all loved. We're really glad you're here. And we want to continue to grow and sin this year along with you. So let's dream, would you, about a church about whom a city could say, oh, look at them, those, come on, Christians. Yeah, would you take a moment and pray with me? Lord, we thank you for this today. We're asking, Lord, for grace to continue to do this and be this, to grow and sin together. When those who don't know you see your people, we're asking that they would say of us and every church in this city, look at them. They even love those who are unlike them. They must be like Jesus. Lord, this year especially, give us the grace and vision and strength to do that. We ask for it all. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.